When was the last time you had a dinner with some people who are in the know about politics or just generally aware about current events and someone said, you know, I read that factual piece in the Washington Post and you didn't laugh in their face. It just doesn't happen anymore. The New York Times, I mean, if you look at the last two months of reporting on, on the Hamas-Israel war from the New York Times, I couldn't be that factually inaccurate if I tried. If you tell people, as they've done in Los Angeles and San Francisco, yes, you can walk into a store and steal under $900 worth of stuff. Steal a PlayStation 5 and four games. But if that fifth game takes you over $900, you got a problem. That system can only exist for a certain amount of time before everything starts to break down. All right, folks, happy Friday. This is it. This is the last show of the year, and we're going out with a bang. I appreciate it. I hope you're uh, having some fun getting ready for New Year's. So put this on, enjoy, relax, go for a drive, go for a walk, or just sit back. Dave Rubin is here for the full show. Let's go. Dave Rubin, always great to see you. Spicer, what's happening? Um, well, you know, it's the holiday season, and, um, you know, one place that's not getting a lot of business according to a, a post that just came out, is the mainstream media. There's a, a clip that's up now th- that Paul Fari, he's one of the media reporters at the Washington Post, he put out this thing. He said, well, that's not good. Traffic to news sites in new me- November per com score, which is the, the, the business that ranks all these guys, every major media organization's traffic was down, save Forbes magazine. The Washington Post traffic to... The WashingtonPost.com down 27.3, CNN down 20.1, New York Times down 28.6. It goes on and on and on. But I feel like at some point, these guys seem to think that it's, it's bad news versus a message that maybe they're not doing their job. Right. Well, it's a message that people are tuning in to guys like us with matching wood slat walls. That's what's going on here, Sean, That's- uh, who, who don't wear a tie and, you know, look pretty dapper if I do say so myself in our fitted jackets. Look, the mainstream media, I, the thing that I always say about the mainstream media is they don't have to be great, but we need them not to be abjectly terrible. And they seem unable to do that. They lie about almost everything from Donald Trump, very fine people on both sides, to the COVID vaccine works, to Brett Kavanaugh's a serial rapist, to the Covington kids are racist, Jesse Smollett was going to be lynched. I mean, we could do this all day, right? So then what happens is people are like, oh, you know, maybe these people are lying to us about some other stuff. I better start getting my news elsewhere. And it seems to me that we've finally crossed the uncanny valley here, where now very, very few people listen or pay attention to those things. When I, And look, I know that we're a sort of self-selected group, you and I talking here, but when was the last time you had a dinner with some people who are in the know about politics or just generally aware about current events and someone said, you know, I read that factual piece in the Washington Post and you didn't laugh in their face. It just doesn't happen anymore. The New York Times, I mean, if you look at the last two months of reporting on, on the Hamas-Israel war from the New York Times, I couldn't be that factually inaccurate if I tried. It's almost impossible. They lie about everything. People are seeing it. And fortunately, there is something about the truth that remains eternal. And if you lie to people long enough, they will somehow revert back to the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I are right about everything all the time, nor do we purport to be. It's on us and, and I would say independent creators to do the best job we can to get truth out there. Uh, but let that dinosaur die. It would have been nice had it not had to die. But at this point, 
what what is left at CNN or the New York Times or Washington Post or MSNBC? I don't know. All right, folks, longtime listeners to the show are going to know about Delta Rescue, deltarescue.org, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. It was founded by my friend, Leo Grillo. And Leo basically one day found a Doberman that was in need of serious help and nutrition. He rescued that Doberman. He named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. It's become Leo's mission. And what Delta Rescue does every single day for all sorts of animals, go to deltarescue.org. Take a look at the videos and the material there. They rely solely on our contributions. If you're an animal lover, go check out deltarescue.love.org and tell me that you just can't see how what great work they do and why we should be helping them. Um, I've rescued three dogs myself. I know what it's like uh, to go out there and help them. This is a no-kill sanctuary for life. It's a mission for them and they rely solely on our contributions. So five, 10, 100 bucks, whatever you can give is super helpful. But more importantly, Leo wants to make this an enduring cause, something that we don't have to worry about just funding month to month, year to year, forever, to make sure that the work of Delta Rescue lives on. They've got an estate planning package on their website, deltarescue.org. Aside from the videos and all the testimonials, go check out that estate planning guide and see if you can make it part of your enduring mission when you pass to make Delta Rescue part of your estate planning. Check it out, download it. It's all free. They can help you walk through it. Please visit deltarescue.org. If you're an animal lover like me, you're going to want to do this. Thank you. To your example, it's not the people that are in the know, right? I When I talk to you or, or others who follow politics, I know where they get their news. I know that they understand the left leanings of or and the, and the hypocrisy uh, of the New York Times, et cetera. But it's the, the problem is that for so many Americans, that's where they, they get the headlines. They maybe go down to Apple News. They turn on the Today Show in the morning. And so, you know, you look back, whatever it was a few days ago, when that Senate staffer uh enacted and, and had gay sex in a committee hearing, an iconic gay hearing. And NBC News says conservatives attack the kid <laughs> for loving another individual. It's like, wait a second, like the the, the bounds in which, or, or how they cover Hamas and talk about, you know, you talk about both sides with Donald Trump. These guys act, make it act like this is a peaceful protest. They're going through city after city, issue after issue. These guys completely, you know, give a very one-sided view of the world to people. And the concern I have isn't people like me and you. Sure. It's not listeners to this program or listeners to the Rubin Report. But it's, it's. I mean, I know you, I was listening, I was joking with you before we started. I, I, you joked about, you played a clip the other day and you were like, ah, for people who don't even have probably listened to John Oliver, you played a clip of him going off on Elon Musk. And I thought to myself, you're right. We don't listen to that. And but for so many people, they do. And that's right, where they get their news from. Sure. So but look, the, the the stats that you read me right off the top were stats that people in increasing numbers are tuning out of that stuff. So I'm not saying it's not relevant at all. Of course it is. And of course, the power players in Washington still pick up those papers and still make decisions through those things or still leak information to The New York Times or The Washington Post, uh, as you know. So I'm not saying it's completely irrelevant, but you also have to remember that we're in a massive technological shift, not just a, a, an ideological shift in terms of where people are getting their news, but a technological shift in that young people 
There is no young person anymore that watches Meet the Press. Now, it would be nice if Tim Russert was resurrected again and then could bring back a Meet the Press that would be respectable. But that is not the Meet the Press that has been on air for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. There is nothing worth watching at CNN at this point. You know, you could take a guy like Jake Tapper, who I've never met, I'm sure is a decent fella. He gets nine out of 10 things wrong, but every time he gets one thing right, everyone's like, see, he's a real journalist over there. And it's like, no, 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 we have to stop playing this game. Again, I am not saying I get everything right on my show. I I tell people what my opinions are and I try to give the information as honestly as possible. Uh, But more and more people are paying attention to what's going on on Twitter. They're watching your show on their phone when they're on the subway and they're not watching the Today Show as much. And or even if you look, you mentioned John Oliver. I mean, people are who do you know that watches the late night shows and goes, boy, that Jimmy Kimmel was really funny last night. They their jokes have become the brunt of a joke. So the trends are trending our way uh, and we just have to keep building good things, I think. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's that's kind of what gives me solace is that the traffic, as I read, is going down. More and more people don't watch a lot of those other programs, but they're getting their news from somewhere. And and as you point out, like I'm very open, as you are, about my opinion on stuff. I'll tell you what I think and why I think it. I back it up with facts, but I'm honest about the angle at which I come from things. And I think that's what I find so disingenuous about these folks in the mainstream media is they pretend like they're honest brokers when they right. clearly have an agenda. Well, well, exactly. So, for example, I don't, I don't want to make this all about Tapper. So let's take Wolf Dude, Blitzer. Go for it. Pick, well, Tapper or Wolf Blitzer or or Anderson Cooper. We purportedly don't know any of their opinions about anything, except every time they make a mistake or they frame something, it's always framed with the left looking positive right. and the right looking ridiculous. So you might ascertain over time that. You do know their opinions, actually, except they refuse to say them. And that's the most ridiculous part. So when you watch, say, CNN on election night, you should know that you are watching 10 or 15 people with their giant screen and their ridiculous uh, big pens and whatever they're doing that are all rooting for the Democrats. You should just know that and accept that. So I think that's the other uh, generational shift that's happening here, because as a new generation has woke up, Uh, has grown up and they've started to see, boy, there's a lot of BS out of the mainstream media. It's now a joke to them. So if I go on stage, you know, on a show and I just say, if I literally say CNN, people start laughing. That's a very, very different thing than where we were at maybe 10 years ago. They they start laughing, but in the next, whatever it is, I can't remember the date. I think it's uh, the the 10th or something. CNN's going to host a debate because the RNC got out of the business. And so what happened, CNN jumped in immediately and announced that Jake Tapper, the aforementioned so-called journalist, is going to host it. Well, let's look at Jake Tapper's background. He worked for a Democratic member. He was a Democratic staffer on the Hill. Ironically, the member that he worked for is Hillary Clinton's mother-in-law. I mean, uh, Chelsea Clinton's mother-in-law. He worked for handgun control, right? He's been involved in other left-wing causes. Uh, aside from working at Hooters as well and being their spokesman. Those, I mean, that's who you need to know. He tried to get a member, uh, a guy in Pennsylvania to ru- to not run for Congress because he didn't want to pit him against a friend of his. I mean, he is an activist and he gets treated as though he's biased. And f- here's my point to you. Our own candidates are going to run to him. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are going to take the stage pretending like he's an honest broker in a debate that's going to inform Republican caucus goers in Iowa in the next, whatever, week, 10 days. Right. So look, there is an inherent problem there that as long as Republicans are willing to talk to a mainstream media that is dishonest, that there will always be an asymmetry there. 
I think the one thing you could say in their defense, well, first off, you know, the Trump thing really puts this so out of whack because he has not been to any of the debates and we're just supposed to believe in polls. And it's like, polls are always wrong. I don't care if he's up 50 in polls or five, polls are often wrong. And at one, at some point, if we're just going to decide elections by polls, then why have elections? We'll just say, yeah, you know, a certain amount of people think this and then we'll have nothing. I would say in, in Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, it's not in their defense, but in, in a certain strategy sense, you go do that because if there are a certain amount of people in Iowa or New Hampshire or elsewhere, some of those early states, South Carolina, let's say, who don't watch the Sean Spicer show, who don't watch the Rubin Report, who are mostly mainstream media people, and again, they still do exist. They're, they're lesser in numbers, but they do still exist. Then you got to go to them. I would say DeSantis has gotten particularly good at now having do straight up answering questions at these interviews and he knows his stuff. He's particularly good at it. Nikki's not quite as good, but you got to get some of those voters one way or another. But yeah, there's a, it's obviously different when Jake Tapper interviews or does a town hall with Ron DeSantis, rather if he does a, a, an interview or a town hall with say Bernie Sanders or, or Joe Biden or anyone else. I mean, do you remember yeah. wh- which town hall was it? I think it was a Jake Tapper one or maybe, no, it was Anderson Cooper, if I'm not mistaken, where he did a town hall with Joe Biden Joe Biden had a full on brain freeze that he has all the time. And you could, there was an incredible moment there. He was fully frozen and you could feel it was, wow, it's really coming to an end right now. And then Jake uh, uh, Cooper basically finished the sentence for him. And it's like, that's an assist, man. That's a course. But it's interesting. I've always said in, in speaking of the media that in this day and age, if you can't do, you become a fact checker, right? And and (laughs) the the head of PolitiFact put out a statement the other day that, I, I wanted to just read part of it, but I think I might read almost all of it because you ha- it's just, this is from the founder of PolitiFact. After I founded PolitiFact in 20, 2007, I often said that our goal wasn't to change people's minds or get politicians to stop lying. It was simply to inform democracy. In the last few years, I've changed my mind. Informing democracy is not enough in the age of rampant lies about elections and public health and climate. Fact checkers need to be more assertive in getting the truthful information to the audience that needs it. The audience that needs that. In 2024, they will dream up new ways of getting facts to the people who need them. Keith line there, dream up new ways to get them to the people. (laughs) Fact checkers will be bold and think more like the marketers trying to push content rather than the publishers waiting for the audience to come to a website. They will experiment with new forms that target the people who are misinformed and push the content directly to them. You see, Dave, this is the problem with folks like us. We just we don't have access to these smart people the way that everyone else does on the internet. I mean, man, that is Orwellian. Like George Orwell himself could have put that in 1984 and that would have been perfect newspeak right there. Uh, look, it's a huge problem. The fact checkers, you know, there was a very famous episode of Star Trek, I think, The Next Generation. Who, <laughs> who What was it? Uh, who watches the watchers, right? And we sort of outsourced, oh, the fact checkers must be checking the facts. And in fact, we're finding out that that's not quite the case. Look, the best example that you can give of this is that Joe Biden launched his original campaign video for president uh, on the on the lie that Donald Trump said there were very fine people on both sides of the Charlottesville incident. The next sentence that came out of his mouth was, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists who should be condemned completely. Right. 
Biden said in his campaign launch video, he didn't play that part. He played the original part and said, because Donald Trump said very fine people on both sides, that's why I'm running for president. It was the easiest moment ever. What an easy freaking layup with nobody on that side of the court. That would have been for the media to be honest and say, well, actually, uh, Joe, it turns out that the next sentence was this. You know well, Sean, that for the last five years, basically nobody in mainstream media has covered it. I was on Real Time with Bill Maher two weeks ago. Uh, Jim Carville brought it up. James Carville brought it up. And I said, well, actually, the next sentence was not the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists. And he had, you could watch him, his body. He has a full-on like breakdown because when they are confronted with the truth, they don't know what to do with it because they've owned the narrative for so long. So again, as long as there is a remotely free internet with places like Rumble, Locals, uh, now Twitter slash X, we will be able to counter this stuff. But, uh, you know, you got to give the devil his due. The, the, the machine is always one step ahead. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we can lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICE, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's fourpatriots.com, includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, for Patriots.com, you do not want to be without power in case something happens. You know, we've done a good job of starting to break out with this independent media, as you mentioned. Obviously, we're you're proud of your show. I'm proud of mine. I think Rumble and, and locals have given people uh, a, a platform to publish things that are give them that that free speech that they're desiring, give people a place. But should we start to match? Should we have a a uh, a daily caller group of fact checkers or a blaze or whatever? But I feel like where we don't match them is having our own team say, okay, that's what they say. But you know that instance that you just called out, there's no one out on the right saying, here's where Joe Biden is lying. Are we missing that? We might be, but you know, the, the tricky part when you take people who are liberty minded, who believe in individual rights and who, who believe in a little more of a let live attitude, uh, you know, if they say, if you go to a libertarian conference, it's trying to wrangle cats and that's kind of what it is. We're all kind of doing our own thing. We're busy with other things. You know, you, you have to give credit to the left and the progressives in what they've done. We can think the progressives are all crazy and they're purple haired lunatics and they're a bunch of social justice warrior, genderless weirdos. But they've destroyed all of our institutions. They have destroyed our educational institutions. They've destroyed our uh, our cultural institutions. They've really run run shot uh, rim shot across the board and destroyed so many things. But the reason they can do it is it's easier when you have a totalitarian ideology. It's easier to get people to fall in line. Where for us, it's a little bit trickier. You know, the the Daily Wire guys are doing their thing. The Blaze guys are doing their thing. You and I are independent. Newsmax doing this. Everybody's kind of figuring out their own way within a capitalist system. Now, over long term, I think that that's actually much better. 
But in the short term, while we're dealing with this crazed woke monster, yeah, maybe we need an Avengers type movie here to come together. But it's interesting because I think we've seen, you mentioned the Daily Caller, they're now trying to produce uh, movies. You've, I mean, I, I Daily Wire, Daily Wire, Daily Wire. Uh, sorry about that. And and then you, I talked to to Logan Seculo and the guys at the ACLJ. They're putting out content. It, is this? It, it to me, there's this existential battle between: Do we create our own economy, build stuff up on our own, or do we even try to take over the other stuff? Right? Do we go after Disney and try to figure out is there a way to infiltrate Disney and maybe get them to buy more family friendly films? Is, I think that, you build new things. You build new things. I've seen no evidence that you can take these things and fix them. I mean, even if you look at what's happening now with Harvard, not only you know were they basically allowing calls for genocide for their Jewish students, but now the, the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, is in this massive plagiarism scandal, but the board of Harvard has already backed her. Now, more and more information is coming out that might do her in. But over, over decades, over decades, these people have fit all of their pieces into these schools, into places like Disney. You're not talking about, oh, I have to fire 12 people. You might have to go into Disney if you wanted to take over the, the machine that is Disney. You might have to hire fire 5,000 people and bring them in. It's not that it can't be done, but I would say Disney is not the Disney that you and I grew up with that right. was relatively wholesome and decent and everything else. Um, it, it, is a, it is a corrupt, broken thing. So I think there's much more fertile ground to build new things. I, I don't, it's, it's, it's a damn shame. It really is. But I would also say this, I know you're a Star Wars guy too. George Lucas, one of the cool things about Star Wars is that George Lucas, when he was making the original Star Wars in the late seventies, that he was the outsider from the system. You know, the system wanted to own and control everything. They yeah. wanted to own and control the sequels and all of these things. And he said, no, I'll self-fund the sequels and I'll take the money for the toys. He was a visionary. And not only did he then create, you know, a series of movies that were unbelievably successful, but he created a billion, multi-billion dollar industry in the toys because nobody thought that boys were going to play with little figurines. They then became <laughs> action figures and, and they became the things that we all grew up with. So I think if you, if you see a dying industry or an industry that's too calcified, which is what George Lucas saw back then, I mean, he was 30 years ahead of, or 40 years ahead of the curve. I think if you see something that's crumbling, it's usually better to go around it rather than go inside it. Maybe not always, but that would be my general belief. So, so you mentioned Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, who's been under fire. As far as an institution like that goes, and I'm not just talking Harvard, I'm talking higher education. What, what is the answer? I go down, I've spoken at Liberty University probably four times, maybe five yeah, times. Great, great I, place. I feel like I'm in a, an alternative universe. People are kind. <laughs> there's no swearing. Uh, they, they are focused on academics, not culture. Uh, and I go, why can't more places be like this? Cause every time I hear, well, it's just not realistic. I go, well, Liberty, it doesn't. Um, well, you see places like Hillsdale putting a curriculum together. Wh what is the answer on, on higher education? Because to your point, I, you could fire Claudine Gay. The person that replaced her is just maybe less openly progressive or something, or right. doesn't plagiarize as much. Right. I mean, think about it this way, whether you're talking about Harvard or you're talking about New York City or Chicago, I mean, they had Bill de Blasio in New York. They got Eric Adams. They had uh, Lori Lightfoot. They got this guy, I can't remember his name, who's who's even more of a lefty whack job, who's the mayor of Chicago now. So you're right. They, they'll fire Claudine Gay most likely at some point, but she will be replaced by somebody that will either be equal or most likely worse. That That's kind of how it always goes. 
So I would say, you, yeah, Hillsdale is doing a really nice job. Uh, you know, there's the University of Austin that was started by Barry Weiss and a bunch of people that are, that are trying to build a school based on truly classical liberal principles, which are the principles that virtually all of our schools, especially our Ivy League, were based on. And unfortunately, over time, they, they got rotted out from the inside. But I would say also, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to college. It's nice to get a higher education if they're really teaching you good things. But we now know that that's really not the case in many ways. And also, you have way more access to information and to learn. I mean, you can learn incredible, you could watch incredible biblical lectures from Jordan Peterson online. You can watch economic uh, classes from Thomas Sowell or Milton Friedman online. You have so much access for free to the world right now. And I mean, just this week, I, I hired a new guy. He, he's a college dropout. Joe. My second, my Joe. second college dropout in a row. So is it need... Joe, right? Yeah, my guy Joey. Yeah, he yeah, did, I he, know Joey. He, he left early today. I, I should probably find out what happened. But, um, but that's the point. That's the point. You you don't need these pieces of paper. Congratulations, I got a degree in in uh, lesbian underwater badminton. You might find out it's not going to help you build that bridge as an engineer. I, okay, I don't disagree with that, but I guess my question is: What is the? Is there an attack from the right that we need to to infiltrate these institutions or try, or is it a lost cause? I mean, yeah, I think they're mostly that, a lost cause. This, you think it's a lost cause? Yeah, they're mostly a lost cause. I, I would say the the real elite ones are a complete lost cause. Harvard is not turning around. They're, you have to imagine their their endowment is fifty billion dollars. The amount of money and influence that has seeped into this place is absolutely unimaginable. You cannot fix that place. Now, there might be some local community colleges and some smaller private schools and things, of course, that you could probably nudge the right way and get some good professors in. Uh, but, but even small schools have been completely infected by this. Yeah, you know, the story of Brett Weinstein, the, the biology professor who got basically kicked out of Evergreen. Now, it was a lefty school, uh, but all he did was say, hey, we shouldn't have a day where white kids aren't allowed to come to campus. Uh, in the name of anti-racism. And he got literally hunted out of school alongside his his wife, Heather Hying. They were both tenured professors who left their jobs after that. Um, so this thing has infected everything. I don't see much movement and I, I just don't see much necessity to go in and fix that. All right, folks, now more than ever, it's smart to be ready in case of an unpredictable health emergency, right? Now more than ever, imagine that a health crisis strikes and the usual channels for medication are disrupted. Sound familiar? Hello, 2020. Uh, that's where contingency medical comes into play, providing you access to emergency packs of antibiotics for ordinary ailments like urinary tract infections, ear infections, strep throat, and so much more. Think about being ready for that unexpected that we all know is potentially around the corner. Contingency Medical even has symptom management medicines for everything from nausea to diarrhea, motion sickness, ensuring that you're up to date. You need to be ready in case something bad happens. You don't want to be running around trying to find out that everyone at pharmacy is out of something that you can't get in touch with your doctor. I've got some free samples of their ReadyPack Plus. I know that if something happens, I'm ready to go. Uh, Contingency Medical also offers free shipping on all packs. Prepare yourself and your family in case something goes wrong. So don't wait. Go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer now and enter promo code Spicer for 20 bucks off 
20 bucks off your pack. Any pack that you pick at Contingency Medical, right? So go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer. Use that promo code Spicer. And remember, Contingency Medical and its products are not intended as a substitute for professional medical treatment or advice. You should always consult with your healthcare provider. I look, I will say this. I, I don't, I agree with you that I don't see it yielding a huge thing. I mean, I, a lot of these colleges, you're right, they're just dug in and that you can replace one and another one will pop up. But the problem is, is that I get it. More and more, you don't need a college education. I mean, you can go learn a lot of stuff, coding and a lot of, uh, of, of trades of today and tomorrow can be found on internet courses, trade schools, th- online schools where you don't need a four-year degree. But for a lot of things, Things are predicated on that. You really can't get a law degree without getting a- No, a- sure. Of course, of course. There are some things that you need to get some formal education on. If you want to be an engineer, we want our people building bridges that, that really know how to do it. Now, you can get an apprenticeship, of course, and an internship and learn how to do some of those things. But do we want our, our doctors and our heart <laughs> surgeons to go to school for a certain amount of time and learn- some of the biology behind it. And then also, you know, be an an internist and all of those things, of course. So I'm not saying there should be no higher ed across the board, but but liberal arts, which is, I don't know what percentage of degrees are just sort of, you know, basic liberal art BAs, they're almost worth worth less than the paper they're printed on. So I think if we get over that notion, yes, you could then level up because you also have to remember, Sean, Social justice and this woke ideology has infected the biology departments. It has infected the mathematical, yeah. de- the math departments. It's infected all of these things. And eventually we will have planes falling out of the sky because we will have hired pilots who were not qualified. We will have do- heart doctors performing surgery without any basic knowledge just because they were hired on their skin color. And someone might eventually say there's a problem here. So there's a chance to nip this thing in the bud, but I would say it's a, it's a diminishing chance. Yeah, I, or, I, I get it. Sean the, Sean, the even more perverse version of this will be that all rich people, you know what rich people are going to want? They're going to want only white doctors because they're going to realize, oh, the white kid had to work harder in high school to get into the college, to get into the grad school, to get into the med school, to get the job. He had to work harder all the way across the board. Well, I have to have heart surgery. Get me a white doctor and I'll pay whatever I can. I mean, that sounds insane, but it's really not. Well, and that's that's the problem, right? Is that they're creating a system. I mean, to your point about, you know, pilots and, and doctors and all these skilled professionals, is that if you start opening up the aperture and saying, well, let's not make it as tough, then you're going into an operating room or driving over a bridge that you don't know is good because the person that built it or is operating on you may not have the skill set. And it's funny because all of these people who advocate for all this, I don't think that they they ever think about the consequences of their action. They just want to be for it. Yeah, it's hard to know if they think about the consequences, but I would say either way, I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So even if their intentions are good, or uh, even if they're, you know, if, if you think diversity, equity, and inclusion are good, well, it's not good. We just laid out several reasons why it is not. You don't solve racism with racism, right? So I don't care, actually, at this point, whether their intentions the, the are that, good or not. Yeah. See, see, I think that that policy or, or ta- like money always drives an outcome, and especially when it comes to taxes and, and, and government policy. So I actually think one of the biggest policies that the next Republican president should drive, and it was brought up at the last debate, I think Vivek brought it up, maybe it was DeSantis, but it doesn't matter. I think it's a great idea, that 
loans, student loans should, the, the school should have skin in the game. I mean, you brought up some of these hysterical uh, majors that people have. But if you're going into something and spending whatever, $75,000, $80,000 a year over four years and then getting out and saying, I want the government to back that loan and hopefully forgive it for a profession that will make like minimum wage, that's insane. And the school needs to have some skin in the game to say, we own that loan because if they know you can't pay it back, that there's no way that you will honestly ever have a profession that will pay back the loan, they're going to start thinking twice about the curriculum. Yeah. You know, I've got a friend, uh, this is just an anecdotal story, but it gets to the heart of what you're talking about. I have a friend who, uh, did great in high school. We've been friends since third grade, great in high school, uh, went to med school, did really well, became a doctor. He's a doctor in Texas. And because of Obamacare and the amount of paperwork and nonsense that he has to deal with and insurance and costs and blah, blah, blah. He basically is now more of a real estate guy than a doctor because he's basically just opening clinics now. Because you find real estate and then you figure out you just need bodies to show up. Uh, I'm not diminishing what he does by any uh, extension. I, he, he's quite a good doctor. I know that for a fact. And, and he's a great person. But you, you force the good people to not be able to do their professions right. professionally. And then they will again self-select out. You could, even, you could take this to almost any vertical too or any, uh, any profession. You know, New York City police officers, they're all retiring in huge numbers. They're either retiring early because they don't want to deal with the nonsense because social justice has been infected into their entire uh, structure over there in New York City. Or Florida is paying bonuses for the best of the best to come down here to Florida. So Florida's policing is getting stronger because we don't let diversity, equity, inclusion into our policing. New York City, they're losing their best. And now they're lowering, I'm sure you know this, they're lowering the requirements to become a police officer. So you're now getting police officers who are overweight, who can't outrun a, a ho-ho rolling down the street. So it, it destroys every system. A ho-ho is a small type of cake, by the way. That might I know, I'm oh, very, they're chocolate on the outside, <laughs> a little cream filling. You just brought me back to like fourth grade lunch. Uh, <laughs> Do they still make ho-hos? I, I don't, don't know. know, but I can I can see it perfect. I think that was like the the treat I got once a month or something. If I had been good and we had extra money, that that was. If a, they still make ho hos, I'm going to send you a case of ho hos. No, for the no, news. no. I have been ho I've been, ho ho. I've been. <laughs> but your point about cops, it's funny. I mean, you think about what's happening in the, all of these areas around the country where the people. I talk to a lot of cops that I know from from different aspects of my background and they can't get people that want to be cops anymore. They have yeah. a hard time recruiting. No kidding. Because number one, you treat them horribly. But number two, if you just arrest people and then let them go, why would you do it? You know that you're going to pick up the same dude the next day. Sean, look, look what's happened in New York City the last couple of days with these pro Hamas rallies and they're going into Penn Station and they're going into Grand Central Station and they're stopping people from going down the Manhattan Bridge and everything else. Then eventually they send some police officers out there. I'm sympathetic with these guys. I, I know plenty of New York City police officers. I, I grew up in New York City. I was just want to be clear who you were sympathetic to because I yeah. thought it was the <laughs> not the not the Hamas protesters. But think about it. You know, they send the they send the NYPD guys in. They're told they can't really arrest anybody. Basically, they can get people up in their face screaming at them. We've seen instances where they're being pushed to. They have none of the tools nor the backing to do anything properly. They're also worried that if they do do anything, that they'll be prosecuted or they'll be called racist or whatever whatever thing might unfurl out of that. And 
that system can only exist for a certain amount of time before everything starts to break down. If you tell people, as they've done in Los Angeles and San Francisco, yes, you can walk into a store and steal under $900 worth of stuff. Steal a PlayStation 5 and four games. But if that fifth game takes you over 900, you got a problem. But if you think that that that, uh, low-wage worker who's the the security guard at CBS is going to stop you, well, no, he's not. Oh, he the security guard is not going to stop you. Like I, I, there was a reporter the other day in the DC area that tweeted out, I'm watching the security guard stand here. I think it was a TJ Maxx or a Marshalls. And they were saying, and the security guard is watching them take it out. And she said to him, why can't you do anything? He said, because we've been told not to. What, what do you want him to do? You know, it's hilarious. You saw, I'm sure you've seen these videos uh, because the, the CEO of Lululemon basically said they're not going to stop people from stealing. So now all these kids run into Lululemon. They steal out the whole place. I like those pants. I like a little athletic leisure wear, okay? So does my director, Connor, over here. I went into Lululemon here in Florida the other day, and for a second, it popped in my head. Why am I paying for this? Uh, what kind of sucker? Am I a schmuck? Why am I? But I'm a good, decent citizen, and I paid for those pants, which are extremely expensive because I've got to make up for all the people that are stealing them. But the, the thing is, I thought about this the other day, that at some point, what laws? Like, I, I, I was doing an illegal U-turn. I admit it. Guilty oh, as charged. Sean. But I thought to myself, wait a second. So are you going to tell me that someone's going to pull me over for an illegal U-turn and tell me this when you can walk into your, in your case, a Lululemon and just steal stuff? Where is the line between what laws get enforced anymore? And that's what blows my mind. But it you know, also the, the, the compounding part of that, of course, is that what you're doing then is you're emboldening the bad guys, right? So the people who want to steal and cheat and all of that. But then you're also saying to all the law abiding people, you know, New York City, you know this, you're allowed to jump the turnstile now. You literally just, you're, they're not going to arrest you. So well, I don't know what New York, I haven't been to New York City in a while, so I don't even know. What does it cost now? Probably two twenty five, maybe to hop on the subway? Uh, who knows? Sean Spicer doesn't go on the subway. Come on. No, no, no. <laughs> I've got a car service. And- <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, you're, so, okay, you've emboldened now people to jump over the turnstile. So now the bad guys have an incentive. But then what you're also saying to all of the decent citizens are, you're basically saying you're a bunch of suckers. Suckers. You suckers pay for it. And not only do you pay for it, but over time, there will be a degradation of services because we're bringing in less money. You're going to pay for all the bad guys to jump over the thing. And, and then what that does is that creates class well, uh, class warfare because then you've got a certain set of people angry at another certain set of people. And then there, there can be a racial element to that and everything else. So the blue cities right now, because of bad Democrat governance, have an un, I don't think people realize how, what an unbelievably toxic situation they have on their hands right now. And I don't see any way they get out of it. How does New York City turn out of this? You think, you think well, Eric Adams tomorrow? That. Yeah. So what do you I, mean, I was going to ask you that because it's funny. I mean, you remember the rise of Giuliani in the 90s. The idea was to restore law and order. The, the broken windows philosophy, yeah. right? Does it take that extreme to finally go, hey, we need someone back? Because here's the thing that I find fascinating. You brought this up in a minute ago. Chicago went from Lori Lightfoot to saying, ah, let's go further left. Right. So look, Giuliani, you know, the first thing he did, I lived in Long Island when I was growing up and then I lived in New York City as an adult. But the first thing he did, you used to have to drive through the Midtown Tunnel to get from Long Island to New York City. When you would get into the New York City on the other side of the Midtown Tunnel, they'd have all these guys with wet paper uh, newspapers and crappy stuff washing your windows. These, you know, and, and it was basically homeless people doing that. And that was your first entry. If you came from one of the boroughs, you know, you came for a theater show or whatever you were coming for, 
a day in Central Park, that was your entry into the city. And the Hello, first thing welcome. he did, right, welcome to the city. Here's some slop water all over your all over your window. And my dad always used to put the windshield wiper up and all that. The first thing he did was get rid of those guys. I don't know what they did with them, but they got rid of them. And then what that did was send a signal. We are not going to be a city of filth. And then, of course, we know he cleaned up Times Square. Then it, it became, you know, people complain now it's it's been Disney-fied. Put aside what you might think about Disney for a moment. But the idea was it became so clean and commercial that it was good enough for Disney. But that was good for 20 years. Now it's actually circling the other way. I don't know that there are enough good people left in New York City to deal with this. On top of the fact that they now have, I heard it this morning, 110,000 illegals. 110,000 illegals well, are in that for city right now. It's insane. They asked for them. I mean, yeah, I, I'm they so, asked for them. Yeah. Before I... um. Before we wrap this, I want to talk, I want to inject a little bit of politics in this for the end of the year. Um, cause I, let's do a little 2024 per, prediction here. Tell me what you think happens as a guy that's, I know that you're back in DeSantis right now. How do you see this politically playing out as we kind of head towards 2024? Because I talked to Ron DeSantis, um, in, in Alabama at the debate afterwards. And I said, look, you made it very clear on Meet the Press, speaking of the program that you mentioned, that you were all in in Iowa and that you were going to win Iowa. Do you stand by that? And he said, yep, I'm going to win Iowa. So regardless of how he finishes, I think the bar is pretty set. He has to, maybe he comes in a close second. But if he doesn't do that, Tell me what you think happens here. Give me your 2024 prediction on how this yeah. thing plays out. Look, everyone in our shoes hates do, doing the prediction thing, but but Sean, it's the holidays. I'll do it for you. Here we go. Uh, look, I think he basically does, for the DeSantis campaign to make this thing work, he, he basically does have to win Iowa because he went to all 99 states. They've gone so heavy on Iowa that that would be the signal, I think, to the system that for the four or five days between Iowa and New Hampshire, that, oh, there's a little blood in the water. Maybe you don't have to vote for Trump or maybe these polls were wrong because everyone I meet everywhere I go, they say the same thing. Everybody likes DeSantis. There's almost, except, except the most extreme, extreme person, everyone knows he's the best governor in the state and what he did with COVID and everything else. What Trump has managed to do, and I think what largely the mainstream media has managed to do, is convince people that somehow DeSantis is sor like Soros backed or just like a whole bunch of BS. And I admire Trump. I, I don't like the tactic, but I admire him for doing something that in pol politics is dirty and it is what it is. I think if, if that doesn't happen in Iowa, oh, sorry, if so, if, if DeSantis wins Iowa, there's about four days to really convince people there's blood in the water and let's see right. what happens in New Hampshire, South Carolina, et cetera. And then there's a chance. But look, I'm obviously on on the, the outside of this. Most conventional wisdom, obviously, is that Trump is going to win this thing big time. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that no matter what happens, Sean, I feel very confident about everything that I've done for the last year. And I haven't had to twist myself into a pretzel to defend this guy. And it's been very easy to defend the policies and things of that nature. Uh, but I would say that basically, if, if, if I was a, well, I don't want to say if I was a betting person, conventional wisdom is that Trump is going to run this thing and then the real question is between the indictments, the TDS, all of the craziness in the media, Trump's own impulses to destroy himself and who wants to work for him. My guess is he'll, he'll lose the general. I think that that's just really? kind of it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I don't think that's true. I think that the, the I mean, every, and I, I look, I'm with you. I don't buy into every poll, but I also think considering everything that's going on in this country, both domestically and internationally with Biden's age, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they have nothing. I mean, I, I said, well, I'm not convinced Biden's going to be the nominee, but, but, okay, Sean, fair well, enough. Look, but you know, the other problem, Sean, 
I don't know what your position on this is, but you know, Trump still believes the election was stolen. And if he believes the election was stolen, okay, that's his belief. Then why wouldn't they steal it from you again? And if your only counter to that is, well, I'm going to win it by so big this time, they won't be able to steal it. That, that to me is not an argument. Like that's not giving the devil his due. So I think Trump does have to address that as well. Well, I, I think that part of what they would say is that they have changed some of the things. But I look, my issue with 2020 has always been what happened in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, et cetera, where they didn't abide by the rules. And I think that Trump's lawyers let him down before the election, not maintaining like drop boxes, early day voting, same day register, all of these things that were prohibited by state law or local, local voting regulations that were just under the guise of COVID. That's not how it works in our country. You don't get to just pick and choose what laws you like because it happens to be a pandemic. Except, um, except that's what happens. So I know, no, I get it. And that's right. the question is, what are we going to do to prevent that again? Because these guys aren't stupid. We've had fake hoaxes, suppression of, of news stories, the, uh, the conjured up reasons that you have to vote in a box in the middle of the street with 18. I mean, I get it. And I think they better get ahead of the curve on this one because last time they got caught flat footed. Um, Sean, just I, let be- me just let me just say one other thing on that, which related to DeSantis, which is that, you know, in light of everything that's happened over the last two months, really since October 7th, two and a half months or so, there are so many lefties waking up. I'm talking about old school liberals yep. who just maybe didn't quite get it before and they were sort of begrudgingly voting for Democrat. They thought something weird was there. But there are, I, I think, truly millions. You know, there's not many groups of people that right. can shift politically right now. I think the disaffected liberal is is a huge, which is what I used to be, is a huge percentage of people that actually could swing this election. Now, the question is, yeah. can those people make it to Trump? And I don't know that they can. Could they make it to DeSantis? There's a ton of evidence that they could because, I, I because they did it right here in Florida, because we know how many New Yorkers and Californians came, about a million, and then DeSantis wins by 20 plus percent. So I think these are all just things that you have to think about. But yeah, the, the, the prognostication game, we usually don't end up looking too good. All right. And that's Dave the Rubin. beauty of America. Anything I know. Can happen. That's, thanks for being with us. I hope you have a happy new year. Thank you for always joining us and being a big supporter. Thanks for making locals available and uh, giving us a platform. Uh, so I hope the best for you and for all of us in 2024. Sean, uh, anyway. I got ho-hos with your name on them. No, on the way. that's not what I need. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Continue to hit that subscribe and notification button. We'll see you on the Sean Spicer Show tomorrow. Well, if you enjoyed this content, make sure to like this video, subscribe, and click the notification bell to get more.